All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Before 2019, I hope I'm finished with Ecclesiastes. It's been quite a challenge, but quite a blessing. Uh, a lot of uh, what a lot of people would call philosophy of life, and uh, I think it's good. Uh, but I, I, I really have been challenged in my studies and was trying to... Uh, get the last minute touches of this message uh, this afternoon and everything went wrong I mean everything you had to have two befores and pipes and all kinds of stuff because uh, things were not fitting and all kinds of stuff so I was the gopher but I enjoyed it I love working around the church and I love um, I love seeing things get done and it's just a blessing I love work uh, too much probably need to study more but uh, Ecclesiastes 9 is about settling the essentials let me give you another word, priorities, priorities on the essential. We, I'll tell you what, the most valuable thing is have a clear and immensely uh, uh, good perception on what is valuable, what is valuable. Dispensable things would be dramatically and radically changed if you only could get your things in order. What really matters could be the subtitle of this uh, of this message, but it's not our footprints on the sands of time that will be remembered, but it's the imprints on the hearts of those we love. Remember that. It's not what you've done or how much money you made, but it's what kind of impression that you leave for Christ's sake. That's why we ought to always be <clears throat> um, leaning on the Lord when we feel like just giving up. And uh, I was thinking about this prayer request and <clears throat> request with Brother Howard and and uh, Miss Stephanie and others that uh, are are having a hard time and uh, really a scary time in their life. <clears throat> I thought to myself, what would they do without the Lord? You know, when other people won't support you and other people are not there and other people don't come through, God always does. <clears throat> and so I'm thankful I'm saved. And I'm thankful i got a Savior that will not forsake me during times of trials because this world's full of them. This world's full of trouble. In this world you shall have tribulation, but good, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That's John 16, 33. One year I had to have that as my theme verse because I had so many trials and tribulations. I said, i got to change my verse for this year. But be of good cheer for the Lord has overcome the world. So, uh, settling the essentials. Um, let me ask you a question. If you were, and, and this is just uh, a timely message, and I don't like to bring up stuff that's out of time because you think I was just preaching because of things that's happening with some of our folks in our church. But if uh, today someone informed you that you had one year to live, what would be different? What would be different? And that's exactly what Ecclesiastes 9 is about, is that he finally unfolds uh, his perception over the sun, not under the sun, and he gets down to what really matters. And he blew it. He flat blew it. 700 wives, 300 concubines, all of them heathens, and uh, caused him to be an idolater. And uh, now he's coming to his senses in chapter 9, and he sees... Life as brief, and it is at the longest, 
and uh, he sees what really matters. And uh, let me ask you a question. If the Lord called you home this year, would you be ready? Are you saved? That's what really counts. No matter what, is knowing that you're saved, saved, saved. So I want us to read this, and I'll just read uh, verses 1 through uh, 7, and then I'll preach the rest of it if I can get to it, because I really want to finish Ecclesiastes by the end of the year. So let's stand on the Word of God, and I appreciate all of you being here. You're such an encouragement, just you being here tonight to pray with me for some burdens that I can't handle, and I know the people that's going through it can't handle. And so you really pray, pray tomorrow, pray all through the week. Amen. It says, For all this I considered in my heart. Now that's where, it gets, that's where it gets real, when you start considering in your heart. Chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes, even to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of, of God. Amen. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. All things come alike to all there is one event to the righteous and to the wicked. In other words, right people go through hard times. And wicked people go through hard times. To the good and to the clean and to the unclean, to him that uh, sacrifices and to him that sacrifices not, as it is good, so is the sinner, and that he that sweareth as he that feareth an oath. This is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event unto, uh, unto all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their hearts. While they live, and after that they go to, they go to the dead. You can't, you can't get away from it unless the rapture takes place. Look at verse 4. For to him that is joined to all the living there is hope. There is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything, neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished, and neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Go thy way. He's encouraging them. Consider before you die, because it's too late after you die. Eat thy bread with joy. I like that. Praise God. And drink thy wine with merry heart, for God now accepteth thy works. Let the garments be always white. That's a garment of joy. And let the head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of, of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life, and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Y'all notice I'm keep on reading because I can't stop. Whatsoever. The hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whether thou goest. If you're going to do something, do it now. I returned, and I saw under the sun that the race is not to, to, to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. For man also knoweth not his time, as the fish they are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught up in the snare, so are the sons of men 
snared in the evil time when he falleth suddenly upon them. This wisdom have I seen also unto the sun, and it seemed great unto me. This wisdom have I seen also unto the sun, and it seemed great unto me. It's good to have a godly perspective. There was a little city and a few men within, and there came a little a great king against it, and besieged it, and built great bucklers against it. Now there was found in that poor wise man, and he, he, he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no man remembered that same poor man. Then said I, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. And the words of the wise men are heard and quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for this very challenging chapter. But God, help us to settle on some things tonight that are very important to you. God, help us to get our priorities straight. Lord, as I preach Sunday night, Lord, about how to overcome fear, uh, Lord, I thank you for the truths in Psalms 34 about praising you continually. And Lord, as an act of faith, we can overcome our fears and our discouragement. Lord, I thank you for speaking to my heart about some things in my life. And so, Lord, please speak again. And God, as I listen to the prayer requests and I've sensed the broken hearts of many that were making the requests, dear God, please help people to get it settled on what's important. And we'll praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. My favorite song and the song that I want sung at my funeral is Only One Life, So Soon It Will Pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. So give to Jesus all your days, for it's the only life that pays. When you recall, you have but one life. I want to tell you something, 10,000 years from today, only what you do for God will count. It won't matter how much money you make. It won't matter how many times you've been written up in fame and fortune. Folks, the only thing that's going to count is what you've done for Christ. And if you're going to do anything for Christ, you must be one that sets priorities. If you don't set priorities, somebody else will set them for you. Don't ever forget that. If you do not set priorities, somebody else will set those priorities for you. Moses looked over into the promised land, but he could not enter it. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 1 through 15, some tremendous uh, verses on, on setting priorities and he uh, did not set the priority. His anger got the best of him. And he messed up God's type and struck the rock twice. And that was a sign of Jesus dying once and once and for all. And uh, God would not let him go in the promised land. And he looked over and he said, he, he just sort of summed up the whole thing and said, there's a, there's a blessing or a curse. And folks, I want you to know, you can look at life and call it good or bad luck. But folks, I believe you need to realize there's a good Lord. I don't believe in good luck or things just happening. And that's what verses 1 through 6 is talking about. We look at life, we call it good or bad luck. Folks, we need to realize that everything that happens in our life, everything that happens in our life is for us to draw closer in our relationship with God. Everything. Not one thing. All things work together for the good of them that love God 
are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. But verse 29 says to be like Jesus. He's predestined, foreordained for you to be like the Lord. So he allows a lot of stuff to come in our life. But folks, if we're going to get what God wants us to get out of trials and tribulation, we must see eternal values. We must have a well-lived life of intentional valuing things that God counts as valuable. We need to let the Lord take the lesser lords out of our lives. We need to be willing to cast off the excess baggage in our life. Ecclesiastes 9, Solomon has learned the brevity of life. He's about to die. And uh, he's learned that he's, he's wasted a whole lot of it with riches and women and fame. And he, and he preached about that in, in uh, chapters 1 through 5. And so he, needs, we need to, he wanted us to settle some essentials. First of all, in verse 2 through 6, we see Brother Joel, the reckoning with the unpredictable life. We need to reckon with the unpredictable life. Many Christians have a karma-style Christianity. You know what karma is? It's some Hindu junk that everything happens to you for a reason of the past. Something you did when you was a kid or something you did in the other life. They believe you came back and you're, you, know, you got another time. Uh, what a bunch of junk. And the New Age movement and all the Hollywood people, you know, they're threatened to walk out of Atlanta now. God help them. Go ahead and walk for all I care. But, uh, karma goes against the doctrine of grace. I'm going to tell you why. Karma goes against the personal accountability to a sovereign God but a loving God. It's always trying to explain all the things. The karma is with me. I've heard that terminology by our young people. They probably don't even know what it is. But karma kills compassion and sympathy and empathy because people that believe in karma believe, well, they had it coming or they did something in their life to cause this or they did something in their previous life to cause this. What a bunch of junk. Karma is unbiblical and it is disappointing and it is nothing to have to do with God. And so, folks, listen, we need to see that the Bible tells us that uh, in chapter 2, that all, all this I consider, verse 1, uh, for all this I considered in my heart, even declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are the hand of God. Folks, it's by the hand of God. God allows some things that we cannot, uh, we can't even uh, attempt to like, much less love. But we must accept by God's grace that God is trying his best to get us to look at eternal values. Amen. He's drawing us closer to God. I've had some things in my life that I thought it was the end of the world. I thought it was over. I thought my ministry was over. I thought this is it. I'll never forget when uh, um, my pastor uh, killed his wife and got away with it. My, my wife's best friend, uh, Miss Brenda, was a beautiful lady and just just wonderful, and, and uh, uh, I'll never forget that uh, uh, when uh, he was called in sin with his secretary, and Connie and I would not eat for three days, and we said, this is it, this is, this is, this is awful. Uh, I don't even want to be in the ministry anymore. I was ready to throw up my hands and just say, forget it. But in those three days of prayer, God touched my heart about starting this church. 
and about making a difference and being a real pastor and a real husband and a real daddy. And I want to tell you something, I could have got bitter at that point and said I'll never be in the ministry another day. But God calls me to fall on my knees and help me to realize that uh, God did not ordain this, he did not orchestrate this, that this is, it was terrible sin, but it was no place for me to quit. It was no place for me to get bitter. And there's no place for me to blame God and shake my fist at God saying that you allowed Brenda to get killed. And I want to tell you something, friend. God help us if we don't reckon about the unpredictable life and the sinfulness of life and the hatred of life and the darkness of life. And folks, I'm not a pessimist at all. I'm an optimist. But I want to tell you something, friend. What would we do without God's providence, sovereign grace, and compassion during these times. I'm glad I'm saved, and I'm glad I know the Lord, and I'm glad He can take even these tragedies. I mean, tra that was a tragedy in Connie and I's life as our first ministry, as our first two years in the ministry. We'd never been in the ministry before. And take that and work it together to make something out of it for God's glory if we won't quit and we won't get totally depressed and out of the ministry. So the subject of death is throughout Ecclesiastes. It's in chapter 2 and chapter 3, chapter 4, verse 8, chapter 5, verse 15 through 16, chapter 6, verse 6, chapter 8, verse 8, and then, of course, chapter 9 mentions it many times, and even chapter 12 talks about getting old and about um, things happening in our, in our memory and our teeth and, and you know, so, uh, losing our hair. <clears throat> Somebody came to me today at Oakwood and said, Man, you've lost a lot of hair. I wanted to say to this particular guy, it's because I had to pastor people like you that left the church without saying bye because of sin, but I didn't. But he bought my lunch, so I praised God for it. Say amen. I said, amen, uh, come on by again, you know. But I, I, you know, I hadn't seen him in a long time, and maybe God's uh, bridging that gap of this, of this person that's went out into sin, and I can, I can reach him and uh, help him. And uh, maybe so, but I don't know. But I'm going to tell you this, friend. Uh, God help us not to get discouraged because of somebody else's sin. When I thought about him and what he gave up, how everybody liked him in this church, and how everybody admired him, and what a great business he had, and he threw it all in the wind for a fling, all in the wind for a sensual relationship. And it broke my heart. Connie and I prayed for him after we ate our free lunch. Praise God. Anyway, uh, reckon with unpredictable life. Reckon. What am I saying? There's some things that you can't avoid like death unless the rapture takes place. But life and death are in the hands of God. Look at verse, look at verse 1. Are in the hand of God. That keeps me going. That keeps me, that keeps me taking the next step. That keeps me faithful when I don't feel like being faithful. That keeps me preaching when sometimes... Like Sunday morning, I had the most difficult time preaching I've had in years. It was just, it was just, you know, it was just a, a battle. And I trust God used it. But I'm telling you, friends, sometimes we just have to go on anyway. And um, Solomon emphasized the freedom of discernment all through chapters 1 through 8. Then he gets to chapter 9 and says, hey, there's some things that uh, we can't understand. That we just need to trust that God's hand is upon us. And then we see, that, and this is the main point of the sermon, number two is that we need to clarify a simple purpose. 
Look at verse 7. It says, Go thy way, eat bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart, for, the, for God now accepted his works, let thy garments be always white. That's a, that was a symbol of joy. And let thy head lack no ointment. And it says, Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy life, of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life, and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Now, folks, how different life would be if we would just discipline ourselves to realize what's valuable, what's valuable. Uh, when he said in verse 7, go thy way, he was really saying, I want to challenge you to lean not on your own understanding, but to trust God. I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, and I want you to look at verse 6. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6. Solomon says this after he's learned the hard way. And I see, you know, this whole chapter is beautiful. But especially these uh, three verses here. It says in Proverbs 3, uh, look at verse uh, 4. So thou shalt find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. It says, lean not on thine own understanding. If you try to figure out all the things that's happening and why they're happening, you will be a nervous wreck and lose a whole lot of sleep. But look at this. It says this now. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Look at all that. In all thy ways, folks, in the midst of trials, and this world's full of them, he says acknowledge him. Acknowledge what he counts as important. Acknowledge what really is valuable. And folks, when it comes down to it, uh, tomorrow morning, Brother Howard's not worried about if, if, if Georgia's going to beat Alabama. He wouldn't worry about that anyway. Or he's not worried about, uh, you know, the farm. And he's not worried about things uh, that's been going on or projects that he's got. He's just glad he's saved and he's thinking about eternity. And folks, I want to tell you something. He needs to draw upon the grace of God tomorrow. And I pray it's a good report. But I want to tell you something, friend. We never know. We never know. Look at Psalms 32. No, excuse me. I didn't read the rest of that. It says, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thy own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. And it shall be health to thy navel, and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with, the, with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase. What happened? So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst forth out with new wine. Folks, you know what the Bible says? When you're having problems and trials, and when you live in this dark and dismal, sinful world, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. And folks, he will burst forth the barns with plenty. He will give you what you need. Look at Psalms 32, verse 8. Psalms 32, verse 8. And I've got to hurry uh, so I can finish this in the next 15 minutes. Uh, Psalms 32 and verse 8, please. This, this helped me so much. The Bible says in Psalms 32, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. See, when you don't know the way, he knows the way. 
We just need to trust him as the way. Solomon is now turning his heart in humble reverence and worship. Self-driven man is now a God-driven man. An idolater is now a worshiper. Folks, worship is very important. His worship compels him to serve his God with purpose and with passion. So his clarity has returned and he sees what is important. He values what is essential. What is essential? God's will. What pleases God? You know, he mentions three things. He's a guy with a thousand wives, 700 wives and 300 concubines. I haven't figured out what a concubine is. Every time I say a word, I think about porcupines. And I guess uh, it, was a, it was a low-rated uh, wife. I don't know. But anyway, he had them all. And he's, he's saying this. He's saying, uh, there's some things you need to understand. And one of, one of it is, is this. Sensual pleasures won't get the job done. Sensual, sensual attractions and sensual relationships. Uh, when you read 1 Kings chapter 11, uh, it'll shock you what happened. It says, it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart that's 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4. After other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord, his God, and as was the heart of David, his father. And Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of Zenodias, and after Micon, the abomination of, of, of Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, and as did David his father. And then Solomon built a high place for Chermoth, the abomination of Moab, and the hill that is therefore Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Amnon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, strange wives, lost wives, which burn incense and sacrifice unto their gods. Now folks, that is shocking, that he would build temples for baby sacrificers that burnt babies in the name of their God. He built the altar. He built the temple. He built the place. Yes, he built the temple of, of God, but he also built these temples. And it's amazing to me that now finally in Ecclesiastes 9, he says, hey, listen, don't get deceived by central relationships. I want to tell you what is so valuable, your marriage. I want to ask you a question. How does people make it without a good husband or wife? Say amen right there if you've got one. How does people make it? I mean, friend, it would be bad enough to go through the trials and the temptations and the trials and the rejection and the hurt and the loneliness and the grief and the deaths and the heartaches and the cancers that we go through, but to do it without somebody that would hold your hand and hug you and help you and love you and kiss you and say, it's going to be all right and I'm with you no matter what, I don't know how people take it. Folks, I want to tell you something. Your marriage is valuable. Your relationship with your mate is valuable. Nothing should come between you and God, but nothing should come between you and your mate. And folks, count it a blessing 
if you worship together. Count it a blessing if you can pray together. Count it a blessing if you read your Bible together. And count it a blessing if you go soul winning together and help each other and, and edify each other, but also overflow to a lost and dying world together. And so that's exactly what he's saying. He said, I just want you to clarify something. One wife, lifetime. And he wasn't saying it like, oh my, I've had a thousand. He was saying, those thousands never satisfied me. Matter of fact, those thousands deceived me and drugged me down because I compromised even marrying them. Folks, I want to tell you something. You marry wrong, you're in trouble. That's why you ought to pray every day for your children. Because they marry some heathen, they marry some agnostic, they marry some lukewarm, cold, callous, preacher-hanging mate, I'm telling you, friend, your life will be most miserable. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how popular you are. Your, your marriage is very important. And that's what he's saying, number one. He's saying, listen, get it straight, men. Get it straight, ladies. Time's fleeting. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. But until tomorrow, have a happy home. Amen. That's why I... That's why I I long to do these couples retreats. That's why I'm looking forward to March 7th and 8th when Brother Tony and Miss uh, Stacy come and I get to teach again you. Because, folks, it's, it's very important. And I want to tell you something. I've seen the best marriages in this, in this church go down the drain because people think they don't need it. And they think they can get away uh, from it and they don't need it. I'm going to tell you something, friend. You need it more than you think you need it. And I want to tell you something, the devil, if you've got a great marriage, the devil's targeting you right now. And he wants to split you up. He wants to devour and he wants you to divorce and he wants you to realize um, too late what a wonderful gift you had in your marriage. Don't take each other for granted. Minister to each other. Realize they cannot meet your needs as I preached on Sunday night. Only God can meet your needs. But they're an instrument to help you know God and that's the greatest blessing on this earth is that when two people know God together so there it is right in the middle of uh, Ecclesiastes he's saying you better watch out folks you need to get your marriage right with God you need to keep your marriage right you need to have it more than marriage you need to have a spiritual oneness and so don't ever uh, join the jet set the Hollywood crowd to think you don't need to be faithful and you don't need to be uh, enamored by the wife of your youth. Um, you know, verse 7, he says something that's very down to earth. He says you ought to enjoy meals together. Look at this. Well, I'm glad, that, I'm glad I got to this verse, amen. I love to eat. You can tell that, amen. My, 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 my coat's shrinking up and I just bought it a couple weeks ago. But uh, listen. It says in verse 7, go thy way, eat the bread with joy. I want to tell you two things that is missing in the, in the local home. A front porch and a dining room table. Front porch and a kitchen table. Amen. Nobody rocks on the porch anymore because you ain't got time. I got a deck and I got two dogs that's took over. I never go out there. I'm about to get rid of those dogs. And I'm about to get that. I'm about to repossess my patio this spring. Amen. I'm gonna put them on the outside of the gate. I know it's gonna break Miss Connie's heart because she thinks we ought to sleep with them. 
but that's not going to happen. But I want to say this. I mean, he's about this big, praise God, amen. It's either me or him, amen, but thank God. But I want to tell you something, folks. There's no porches anymore or there's no rocking chairs. You don't have time to rock. You're too busy rolling. <laughs> Amen. You're too busy going. You're too busy doing this. You're too busy making a living, and you're not going to live. And then I'll tell you something. He said, he said, eat thy bread with joy. Now, I know y'all came all the way here on Wednesday night to say y'all enjoyed meals together. It says, and drink thy wine with a merry heart, for God now accepted thy works. Folks, listen, I want to tell you something. Happy, leisurely meals, verse 7. Then, Joyful family celebrations, verse 8. It says, let thy garments be always white, and let thy head lack no ointment. And folks, that was, a, that was the garments of white were joyful garments. When you want to get mourn, you put on black. Amen? Uh, I, was, I was noticing that Jason was, had an all-black suit, and I had an all-black suit Sunday morning, and Brother Jack had an all-black suit. And we preached on uh, natural and unnatural grief, and death was the Sunday school lesson. It was great, you know. But I thought, my word, we're not all here to mourn. We're here to rejoice that there is a heaven and that we're going to live forever. And, folks, I want to tell you something. Joyful family celebrations ought to be a forecast of heaven. You ought to get together and enjoy each other's presence. But now it's a TV tray and it's a TV blaring and it's, and it's uh, I'll eat when I get home. You go ahead and eat. And the kids, they don't even, they, they're, they're in front of the video games. They're eating in their room. That's not family. That's a motel. And somebody sitting in the lobby uh, 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 directing traffic called Daddy. And folks, we need to get to know each other. We need to love each other. And folks, we need to have a joyful family celebration. And that means that we need to love each other like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. A beautiful spiritual woman. He missed it. And it brought him down. Then there's one other thing you ought to enjoy. It says, live joyfully with the wife of whom thou lovest all the days of thy life, of vanity which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity, for that is the portion of his life, that in the labor which thou takest under the sun. I'm so glad that my children are happily married. It would break my heart if they weren't. I don't care if they're on the mission field, serving in the churches, I'm just so glad that they're close. I'm so glad they're one. I'm so glad they want to be in church and raise the children up right and that they love God. I was talking to Steve, uh, heard Stephen this, this way. He's got, he hurt his back lifting up somebody trying to help him. And, uh, you know, and Stephen was so concerned about his back. I thought, well, praise God, I'm glad you're concerned about his back. Of course, if his back's not good, he won't work. If they don't work, they don't eat. And, uh, you know, and, you know it's, just, it's just a blessing. You see, verse 10, there's another thing you ought to enjoy. Look at verse 10. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. There is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whether thou goest. You know what it's saying? Enjoy your work. Now, I know y'all going to look at me like a cross-sided mule, uh, but I'm going to say this, friend. You ought to enjoy what you do. You ought to enjoy you got the ability to do it. I enjoy the ministry so much. I stay here till 6 o'clock, tried to get my wife to bring me a suit, and she's half sick. She, matter of fact, she, she's uh, uh, standing up uh, sick in bed right now teaching those girls because Holly's sick. And I will tell you something. I, I said, never mind, I'll just rush home and get, get my suit, and I'll be right back. And I barely made it, got dust all over me. 
And I tell you what, I had the best time in my work in my, uh, this afternoon trying to study, but just look at Donald and these two guys. One old guy's is about as country as I've ever seen a guy. And man, they're in there with a backhoe pushing a steel beam through a wall and trying to knock out a wall. It was just wonderful. I mean, I just was excited about it. I thought, praise God, this is the Lord's house. This is doing something for God. And I can't wait to knock the wall out and, and see a see carpet squares and a beautiful fellowship hall and a beautiful class and, and have some place warm instead of out there freezing to death when we're I just got the vision of what we could do with just work. Just just have some work. Have some fun. Amen. Seeing a big beam slide through a hole and it wasn't big enough and we're gonna have to go start over in the morning. It's just work. You ought to enjoy work. You ought to enjoy doing something. You ought to enjoy accomplishing something. And I'll tell you what most of you men do. I don't, I don't see but a couple of you that's lazy. But, uh, you know, uh, most of you, you, you love your job. Why? Because it puts food on the plate and it puts clothes on the kid's back. And, and, you know, it pleases the wife. Amen. And she gets to buy a new dress once a month or something. Uh, work. And the Bible says, if you do it, do it hardly as in the Lord. You ought to be the best employee on the job. That, that's a fulfilled life. So I, I just endure it. I just live for the paycheck. I feel sorry for you. You ought to find you a job you enjoy. You really should. You ought to find something you enjoy. You ought to feel like you're accomplishing something anyway when you go to work. Amen? You say, oh, they don't appreciate me and I don't appreciate them. I'll just be glad when I retire. I feel sorry for you. You ought to find you a job you enjoy. Now, don't go quit tomorrow because we need your tithe. But I'm telling you, uh, uh, you know, you ought, to, you ought to enjoy what you do. Say amen. And if you don't, ask God to change your heart. Towards you. Folks, whatsoever you do, do it hardly as unto the Lord, the Bible says in Colossians. So, very simple things. Happy leisurely meals, joyful family celebrations, hard work. Verse 9, enjoy your marriage. Enjoy your marriage. If not, 1 Kings 11, 1 through 8 might take place. So clarify a simple purpose. Then last but not least, and I got it, we got to close. But I want you to see, third of all, is that we need to aim for substantial impact. Aim for substantial impact. Verse 13 says, This wisdom have I seen also under the sun, and it seemed great unto me. You know, folks, it's not the footprints in the sand, but it's the impression you leave on other people's lives. You know, you ought to enjoy your work, but you ought to enjoy the ministry, that folks, it's not abilities. Look at verse 11 and 12. It says, I returned and saw under the sun the race is not the swift, nor the battle the strong, yet the bread to the wise or the richest of men, uh, nor yet favor to men of skill. A lot of people think, well, it's, it, abilities will not guarantee you success. It's working for God and doing your best. And then opportunities in verse 13. It says, The wisdom have I seen also under the sun and seemed great unto me. There was a little city, and he gives a parable about a little city with a very uh, humble man that had wisdom that saved the city. The big loud mouth, big shot king got all the credit. Nobody knew the little man. But folks, I want to tell you what he said. The little man, the little man with wisdom was a better weapon than war. And, one, and folks, he said that, that that was the the prize value of success. 
And so, folks, life is unpredictable. And this story is valuable because it shows us that this little guy made a big difference. I, I want to make a difference in people's lives. I want to help people that are down. I want to encourage people. I want to win people to the Lord. Can you imagine a person, a soul going to hell and you could come and take the gospel and show them how to be saved and they go to heaven? What a difference. It's an eternal difference. It's a divine difference. I'm saying, friend, in this story, who matters is the little guy that used wisdom. In God's economy, living with eternal values and investing in people, you make more significant eternal difference than a loud, rich, powerful, successful fool that everybody knows and everybody honors. That's what this little parable is about. I close this chapter saying this. You need to build your life aimed to make an impact on people's lives. You ought to, make one, you ought to want to make a difference. And folks, I want to tell you something. If you don't prioritize your life, somebody else will. We are not here to get more things done. It's about how to get the right things done. I used to live that way. I'm gonna get a I have a to-do list a mile long. And boy, if I can just get most of them done, I feel like, man, I've really, I've really rung it up today. No. It's making the wisest possible investment time, your energy in order to operate at the highest point of contribution by doing what is essential. And what is essential? God's glory. Furtherance of the gospel. Salvation of souls. That's eternal values. That's what counts. Only one life so soon it will pass. Every time I have a birthday, I tell my wife, I said, well, it's not going to be long. She says, good night. Would you stop that? I always do that with her. Now. Just kidding around because I feel great. But I might not be here another week. You might not be either. And, folks, I want to tell you something. Solomon finally saw it. He said, if I'm going to thrive in this life, I need to do what's valuable. God help us to be intentional, intentional, intentional about eternal value you ought to sit down and say my labor is not in vain in the Lord whether I eat or sleep or drink I'll do it all to the glory of God and I want to invest my life in not the temples of this world or not the people of this world but in God's glory and so I want to tell you something wisdom is realizing you're not going to be here forever and wisdom is realizing what you do for Christ very simple message, very simple chapter. It says, enjoy your meals. Have a celebration in your family once in a while of each other in life. And enjoy your work. But while you're working, do it for the Lord. Do everything for God. I think we ought to do this. I believe we need to realize, as the title of, of, the, of the whole message, we need to settle on the essential. We need to settle on the essential. Family, essential. Love, 
essential. Furthers of the gospel, worship is essential. God and God alone is essential. And that's exactly what we are to invest our lives in. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this chapter. When I first read it, I said, oh my, this is complicated. This is hard to understand. But God, thank you for the Holy Spirit that opens up a chapter to make it so simple. Sometimes so simple we're afraid that it won't be impressive, but Lord, I'm not here to impress. I'm here to let you impress upon people the priorities of life. Lord, if we only had one year to live, and we knew it, there'd be some big changes. There'd be a whole lot more faithfulness. There'd be a priority of essential. So Lord, help us. As I said often, help us to live each day as if it's our last. But God, help us to invest in other people's lives so we'll live on forever through our children, through our converts, through our church members that we've encouraged and strengthened and edified because we believe it is worthwhile labor.